going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. So in chapter 3, if you remember, we found Solomon kind of showing us the value of time and the purpose of the seasons that we all face in this life, both both the good and the not so good. Um, everything we learned last week goes as planned. It's, it's not by accident. It's on purpose. And the result of that kind of foothold leads us really to have a better trust in God. It builds our faith. And if we will just let him guide us through these moments, whichever side of the fence that is, he really does just encourage us and, and solidify us and make our foundation sure. And he keeps us focused on eternity where we should be looking anyway. Everything was moving in chapter 3 in the right direction for Solomon. Then, as we find out in chapter 4, he puts his eyes back on the earth under the sun. That familiar quote that we see over and over in the book. He looks to the wrong spot and it all disappears. And we noted last time that what a dangerous place that is under the sun. A life that's trying to find purpose without, without God at the center. A life that's looking unto the world for satisfaction. Really, the world outside of Christ as we know it, it's a chaotic mess. And it's never going to bring us to a place of peace and of hope and, and really of just, just relaxation and rest. Chapter 3 marks a turn for Solomon, if you will. The wisest man who ever walked the earth. He, he gave us a glimmer of hope. And then in chapter 4, it is gone altogether. And so we start right there in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then I returned. <laughs> In other words, I came back to my own senses and looked in the wrong spot. I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yes, better than both is he who has never existed who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. <laughs> you know, there's a popular song out there, an older song, that really is a profound truth that keeps us from this kind of a sad observation. It's a familiar song. You guys know it. It's turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, right? In what? In the light of his glory and grace. Um, there's such a calm that can happen in this kind of a fixed gaze. We see it all the time in parents, in a child that's, that's suffering in some way. Things get out of control for our kids. We have to hold their face still for just a minute. You grab both sides of those cheeks. It really doesn't matter how old they are. And you want them to catch your eyes because you want to speak into them some kind of comfort, some kind of peace. 
You want them to hear what you're saying. And there's, there's tons of movies out there in our mind and we can reference where the hero or whatever it is, has found himself in a bad spot. And there's another person that really is, is in a complete and utter panic. And they just grab them and they say, look, look at me, look at me. Because they want to relay something to them that's going to help them get out of this situation. Don't, not looking around for other outlets but focused on Christ. That's our stability. Not wondering what's going to creep around the corner. We don't have time for that. We are fixed on that gaze. That's when he speaks, seems like. If we would just calm down and focus, that's when he wants us to listen. He's grabbed us. He's got our attention. That's the most stable place we can put ourselves in while under the sun. While on this earth, we begin to look anywhere else. Just like Solomon, it's going to go south real fast. And Solomon took his eyes off God. And he placed them on this world. And in a very short amount of time there in chapter 4, he notices this very obvious truth about the world we live in. It's unfair. It really isn't much different in our world today. I mean, that's just the world. And just as people were oppressed in Solomon's day in all kinds of ways, the same happens in our modern world. And oppression, you guys know, comes in many shapes and forms. It comes in the forms of, of governments. It comes in the forms of authorities. Employments sometimes can be impressive. Relationships can be oppressive. They're all common in our history on this earth. We've faced oppressive taxes. We've faced oppressive people. There have been oppressive religions that demand you do one thing or another. And they can make life very unfair for those who kind of fall under that kind of weight and restriction. And oppression is not persecution, although it can be. Oppression is not just a one-time event, if you will. It's something that goes on and on and seems to be without relief. In the summertime, we have oppressive heat. You know, we have cold. It just never seems to go away. It's constant. And Solomon notes that even though they cry out as the oppressed, the ones who need to be delivered, they really, there's no comfort for them. And the ones who are causing the issues just seem to gain more and more power. And the relief and the aid of those who really need it most just doesn't happen. Listen, that's not an insight that's reserved for the wisest man in the world. <laughs> we all see that type of injustice. We all know what's going on. Sometimes it's a geography issue. People live in some very harsh places that are difficult to live in. Sometimes it's a cultural thing where they haven't you know, found Christ and they're still living in this archaic past. And children and women and all these things are seen as, as burdens and they're treated as such. Sometimes it's just years and years and years of a wrong pattern. A worldly focused pattern. But mostly oppression is simply a sin issue. Someone won't do the right thing. And really that's a product because mankind, if you know or haven't been aware, has fallen. And evil will show itself given any chance in our life and in the world as a whole. It's been going on. 
it will continue to go on because long, as long as sin has rule and reign in the hearts of men, it's never going to be right. And that out of focus vision and heart leads us to a conclusion that we should never really find. And Solomon draws that picture. He says, I just praise those then because of this oppression that never seems to end. I praise those who are already dead. <laughs> More than the living who are still alive. Better is he. He says that he should have never existed. And Solomon states here, it's, it's, it's better then if the world is so unfair and it's so oppressive and it's so bad. Solomon's a nice party guy to have around, isn't he? It's better then if that, that you should never be brought into this world. Can I just counter that with the Bible paints a very different picture for you and your life in this world? God loves you. And he placed you here and even more so has a plan as we've discovered in the first three chapters of this book. The psalmist writes in 139 that you formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. And therefore I will I will praise you. Why? Because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Isaiah writes this, everyone who was called by my name, whom I have created, notice there, for my glory. I formed him. I've made him. And finally, Paul writes in Ephesians that we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has, noticed there, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not accidents. We're crafted Works of art, the created beings that God has placed in this world, in this time, for one specific reason. Acts gives us that reason in chapter 17, that he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. He's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Although, he says, he's not far from us. That's why we're here. It's not better that you haven't existed. You're here to find God, to know and to love the creator of this universe. And God has ordained our steps, ordained our path so that eternity with him can be ours. And the truth of the matter is he's not hiding from us. God wants to be found. His attributes, if you just look for them, are plain to see. And the revelation of Christ brings God into our life, brings that purpose into our life. Listen, I don't claim to understand it, but I love it. I've seen those things. And the idea that sin and the world is so bad, it would be better that you never even existed at all, is a terrifying thought. To the flip side, Solomon is kind of right in this thought. If you're going to reject and deny the obvious truth that God is real, that, that Jesus is real, 
that the life and the death and the resurrection are real, that heaven is real, that, that hell is real. If you're going to reject the truth that Jesus is coming soon to set things back the way they're supposed to be, not, not, not if, but when he comes back, if you reject all that, it really might have been better that you not step foot on this planet. Jesus is at the table with his 12, and he's kind of relaying this kind of mindset to them. He says there in Mark, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it's written, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he'd never have been born. And we know where he's talking about Judas, right? Judas is going to betray him and all these things. But listen, that betrayal, that rejection, and that unwillingness to repent and be forgiven is, is the problem. That's going to separate you. If that's the stand you're going to make, then you can argue the best option is for you to not be here at all. The reality of it is you're already here. And so it's too late for that. Your eternal dwelling is set. Which side you want to be on is your choice. It's an urgent call that God sends out. Listen, we all know and we expect even at times that life isn't going to be fair. But we also have to realize that in this life, under the sun, however you want to put it, in this vapor, fairness is really not why we're here in the first place. Yes, there are some bad things out there, but I think we forget that God is good, right? The psalmist writes this, man, how great is your goodness for you have laid up for those who fear you. You've prepared for those who trust in you. In the presence of the sons of men. Notice there that God has prepared for us goodness. While, it's an important thing, while in the presence of men. In other words, while on this earth, he's prepared that kind of goodness for us. Under this sun, walking this ground, this life and all of its flaws, the injustice and the imbalance, they're products of sin. We know that. But Jesus is what the world is looking for. And all of the goodness of God is available if we just accept it. We don't have to understand it. We just have to accept it. It can't be taken away. It can't be diminished. It's stored up. All of the eternal goodness that he has stored up and sealed just for me, just for you. Now it's going to be released at a time to be determined later. Not sure when that is. It's closer than ever. But God is good in a world that is not. We forget that. And Solomon moves on there in verse 4. Again, I saw for that all the toil and every skill skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor this is also vanity and grasping for the wind the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind then i returned and i saw vanity under the sun there is one alone without companion he has neither son nor brother yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. 
but he never asked for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This is vanity and a grave misfortune. Solomon is a complete and utter downer to be around at this point. But it really is kind of reflective of us as humans as we get in those in those weird funks, right? Where nothing is right. <laughs> nothing is really going to make us feel better. We've set our minds and we've set our eyes and we've set everything in us to just keep us not happy for a season. You know, life is unfair. You should just give up and die. That's the, really the opening of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you don't, if you decide not to die, the next observation is even worse. If you even have success, it's going to be filled with problems anyway. He's a horrible mindset right now. It's a quirky flaw we carry as a society and as a people. We don't mind a little success, right? You can succeed a little bit, but let's not get carried away. I mean, who in the world needs seven Super Bowl rings? <laughs> Just hating on him for the sake, you know, the sake of hating. It doesn't make any sense. Right, Rick? Right. Listen, that's not the way we are to live our lives. Paul writes this in Romans that we're just to simply rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves but, or give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so... You'll heap coals of fire on his head. But here's the most important thing. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's an earmark of a believer. To love one another, to support one another, to be happy for one another. And there are those out there who will not be happy with your success. There are those out there who will always Always look to the bad side of things and always try to tear down. I've said it before. There's only a couple ways to build yourself up in this life. You can do the work, put the time in and the energy and live through the successes and the failures and grow into a better human being. Or you can take the other road and feel like you can elevate yourself if you can just tear everything else down. Listen, those who are never happy, those who are constantly at us, those who are trying to pull us down to build themselves up have really no bearing on how we are to live as Christians. We are to serve Christ and to love others. That's key. To love God is a start, right? But that number two, love God and love others. John writes about that, that someone says, I love God and hates his brother. You're a liar. 
he does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love a God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must, look at that, must love his brother also. Who's our brother? Who's our sister? <laughs> look around. They're in this building, they're outside these walls, or in your workplace. To build each other up, to love one another as Christ would love them is a very difficult situation. I understand that. We're called to do it. We must do it if we're going to be disciples of Christ. And Solomon does slip into this cool mode next. And he gives us the value of friends who do support us in this walk that have our back no matter what. He continues there in verse 9 that two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's a common passage. We use it in wedding ceremonies a lot. But it rings true for the body of Christ in general. Such a, such a peace and such a strength knowing that we are just not alone in this world. That threefold cord though. <laughs> that's what's important. The threefold cord. Obviously me and you, whoever you may be, my wife, my friendships, my relationships with my kids. Woven in there somewhere. That third cord of a love for God and a service in his kingdom. Christ is the strength in those relationships. Without that third cord, it's a ton of confusion, a ton of chaos. And I don't want you guys to get confused here. What I'm not saying is to only hang out with Christians because no one else is worth it. <laughs> One that defeats the purpose of the Great Commission altogether, right? That we are called into this world. We have to spread the gospel. We want those into the kingdom. If we want to rejoice with them, ultimately we need to get them to a point where we can rejoice with them. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. And we should know, going by that verse in Acts, that wherever God has placed us, in the time he has placed us, in the boundaries we have set, he has called us to be there. No one else has the insight into your family, into your work, into your friendships more than you. It's my village, and it looks like how I want it to look like. I want it to be safe and stable. It becomes safe and stable. If I don't care and I allow that kind of chaos, that's just what happens. It becomes chaotic. But he's placed us here for such a greater purpose than we could ever imagine. It's such a blessing to be in it, right? I mean, like I said, church would be easy if it wasn't for people, right? <laughs> Jesus himself knows the reality of the time and the place that he was called into. And he writes there, he says there in John, but now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are note that not of the world, just as Christ wasn't of the world. 
But he says this, I don't pray then that you should take them out of the world. That seems counterproductive, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Listen, church, you are not of the world just as Christ is not of the world. He says, sanctify them, set them apart by your truth. Where do we find that? (laughs) It's pretty easy. Your word is truth. And he says, as you have sent me into the world, I have also sent, sent them into the world. That's why we're here. To represent God. To be those hands and feet. We just spoke about that at our service meeting this morning. That's why he said it's better for you that I should go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send my spirit into you. And you're going to be all the things that I can't be. You're going to do greater works. Not in magnitude, but in sheer number. Because you're here for so many more years. That's what he's saying. We're the hands and feet of that. We have to function in this world, right? (laughs) We can't just recuse ourselves into some exclusive Jesus-only circle. Those turn into weird places. Very cultish. The caution, though, is to just make sure we try to, when it depends on us, to weave Christ into the middle of it. To have those friendships and those co-workers and those relationships that are wound with that third cord. It's not a guarantee, listen, that we won't have any disappointments, right? Walking around the sheep pen, you're going to get a little poo on your feet. That's just the way it goes. But it is the best chance. It sets us up for the best possible outcome. Solomon continues on there in verse 13. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king. Although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he had, whom, whom he was made king. And yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and grasping for the wind. <laughs> A lot of you guys can relate to this. Let's see you young guys. You may not, but you will. As I got older... My parents got really, really smart, right? The older I got, the more wise my parents became. And I realized that you don't live to be old by being stupid. If you would have grabbed my kids when they were teenagers and asked them maybe maybe how Kim and I were doing as parents... They probably would have most likely said it's just a miracle that they're still alive. Right, parents? And as we get older, we realize, wow, my parents were absolute geniuses. I have most of my capacities about me, you know. The youth of today, it's the same as it's always been. To gain a godly wisdom, Solomon says, is so much more valuable. He says, just be poor if you need to be, but understand it, than rich and be an idiot. 
We happen to live in a world that has a lot of extremely rich idiots. <laughs> They're doing exactly the opposite of what Solomon said. So much more important to understand the word and the purpose we have than, than popularity or financial gain. I mean, those are great. I have nothing against those things. But without God, they're just empty spaces at best. And granted, myself included, I don't want to be poor and I don't want to be lonely. But Solomon is sharing an important truth that the draw of fame and the draw of wealth really causes us sometimes to lose rational thought. You can check out any social media for an innumerable, innumerable amount of examples of that kind of, of irrational thought. I mean, I'm a big fan of eating stupid stuff in contests. You know, I've been known to do some stupid things. I mean, listen, we've all been dumb at one point in our life, right? Fortunately, no one was there to record it. <laughs> all my stupidity is just legend and myth, right? <laughs> all that to say stupid, and I say this in the rightest of heart but wrongest of words, especially for you in the front row. I'm just, just listen to me for a second. Stupid is not just reserved for the youth, right? I know some adults who are really kind of stupid, myself included. But there comes a point that I don't care what the challenge is. I am not climbing on a 10-foot stack of milk crates to show that I can go up and down. And feel myself falling to my death, right? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. That's the craziest. If you guys haven't checked that out, well, I say, don't go check it out. You can ask anybody in the front row. They'll know what I'm talking about. Listen, I know I could do that. Easy. I'm agile. I just don't want to. Right? Solomon is kind of right. This cause is futile. This chase is futile. Bruce Springsteen wrote a song called Glory Days. Anybody familiar with that? Anybody have Glory Days? Yeah, I have a bunch of them. Been playing softball with the group, co-ed softball on Wednesday nights. We're horrible. But we think we're good. You really don't know how slow you are Do you run next to someone who's not slow. Right In my mind, I'm moving. I see it on, someone will film me. I'm like, wait, who is that? Oh, that's me. Glory years are fleeting. Records are made to be broken. But the reality of it all is if you have the most toys when you die, you still die. Right? Listen, I'm a big fan of toys. I have a bunch of them. Old cars and stuff floating around, things that I love to mess with. But I'll let go of those things if I need to. They're not the steer and, and, the, and the focus of my life. They're just willful distractions, right? I'm going to recap here for you guys that there's such a truth to Solomon's observations here in chapter 4. The world is unfair. Sin causes all kinds of problems. That's the reason we're here today, right? Because of sin. 
and that chase for money and that chase for fame and that chase for anything under the sun is only, only going to leave us empty and separated. And those are real facts of life. And they seem depressing until you realize they can be alleviated 100% by just turning our eyes on to Christ. To focusing on his word and his truth and his example. And yes, under the sun is temporary at best. The good news today, though, the good news today is there's so much more to this life than we'd be given. There's so much more to the 50 years or the 100 years. I don't know what the oldest person on earth is right now, like 114 or something. It doesn't matter. It's fleeting. Solomon is correct. It is a vapor. But God has prepared our life and our circumstances so that we can find eternity. That's the sole purpose of why we sit in these seats today. Eyes just fixed on Christ, fixed on his purposes, allow us to chase a real goal and a real finish. Peter writes this. The end of all things is at hand. Notice when he writes that to where we are today, so much more so today. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. Be watchful in your prayers and above all things be have fervent love for one another because love will cover a multitude of sins. Peter commands us here to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And as each of you has received a gift, a gift of the spirit, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things... Here's the kicker, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then he tags this right on the back of it. Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to only you. But rejoice in this extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed... Look at that. <laughs> you may be glad with joy that when finally Christ has had it and he sets foot back on this earth, that we aren't cowering, that we aren't hiding, that we aren't trying to make up excuses that when I'm ready for it, my lamp is lit. I'm at the watch. I've been doing what I've called to do. What a day that will be when Christ exchanges all of this for his glory. <laughs> And listen, we're not far from finished. We have communion today. And that's an awesome time of just of celebration of what God's done for us. And I understand that. But listen, the decision needs to be made. The decision for Christ, though, could not be an easier one to make. Deuteronomy tells us this. I call heaven 
and earth as witnesses today against you. In other words, there's no place that you can escape the reality that God does exist in the heavens, in the earth, in the practical things. Listen, I'm just calling them as witnesses. If we keep our mouths shut, I'm calling these as witnesses against you today, not against you to crush you, but to counter your irrational thoughts that there is no God. I call heaven and earth as witnesses. I've set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. And that seems like an easy choice, but he has to tell us, therefore, because of these two sides of the fence, why don't you just choose life? That both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. Why? Because he is your life and the length of your days. That seems like such an obvious choice. If you had a choice between life and death. I asked that to a guy one time. If you really had to choose... If someone really came up to you and said, hey, today's the day, life or death? He goes, well, depending on, you know, the day, I don't know. I'm like, no, you're sure we would choose life. It's not it's not something that that we can we can rationalize. And we're big and brave while we sit in these seats. But we're really just little kittens crawling around out there pretending to be lions. Right. I was watching a, a video on Facebook of this monster lion that came out of one of the safari, the drive through safari somewhere. Not local, because our lions are old and have like legs missing and they're just weird looking. But an actual lion that came out of the jungle somewhere. And this thing was a monster. And I thought, man, we've all been to the zoo, right? How brave we are when those bars are there. We're throwing stuff at the lion, making fun of it. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. If that was in real life, I am screaming like a junior high girl and running to the van. You know, and we tend to think that way, that, that, that this is some kind of game, that we're, we're protected from this enemy. And listen, we are not. And if we had the choice to choose death or life for real today... Man, I guarantee every single one of us would choose life. If I could just go one more hour, if I could have one more day, that's how we add length and life to this existence is to choose that blessing that God has set aside for us. Amen. Why don't we pray? God, I thank you for the, 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 the line that you draw. It's not hard to figure out. But it's easy to figure out. The heavens and the earth witness. And they bring to our mind the, the glory that you've set aside. And Lord, that we would trust your word over our hearts. That we know our heart is deceptively wicked. And always trying to lean us into different thought processes. Lord, we saw that with Solomon. How he began to look around. He took his eyes off of you. And, 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 and things went south. And God, I just pray today for the lives here, the families here. Lord, you would speak clearly today. God, that you would have just a foothold today and a voice today in the hearts that are here. And listen, if you're here today and, and 
the choice hasn't been made. I just encourage you today to choose life, to choose that, that blessing. That it's easy. We've all been there. We've all taken our eyes off of it. We've all just got fixated on the wrong thing. I just encourage you today to just make the choice. Not, not, not a choice in full understanding. Not a choice in, in intellect or not a choice of just now we finally we understand it all and we see it all. But just a choice to just make that life call. Not a death in our life. Not a cursing, but a blessing. And so listen, if, if that's you, if, if we're getting ready to partake of communion here in a little bit. And, and that's an awesome time. And we'll get to that in a second. But if you just need that forgiveness. I just tell you that... that that, that God loves you and he sent his son to die for you, to, to offer that sacrifice so that you can have that eternity. And if, and if you know that you know that you know, if that, if that inner voice, if, if that Holy Spirit is just tugging and tugging, listen, I would love to introduce you to Christ today. So just for a moment, if that's you, could I just get you to do something insanely bold for me and just, just lift your hand. I can see it. You can put it right back down. You don't have to hold it up there, but if that's you, I see you. I see you, brother. Listen, the heavens rejoice over that kind of heart. That heart is not afraid to, and, and I'm not trying to push you into some weird guilt or some weird obligation that, oh, I don't want to be the guy that doesn't raise my hand. But listen, I don't want you to be that person that doesn't raise their hand. Because <laughs> I can't guarantee you anything, but right now, and it's already passed. And God wants to give you eternity. He wants to set your life straight and remove some of that chaos if we just fix our gaze. And so is there anybody else that just needs that, that forgiveness and, and that life that's offered in Christ? Now's your moment. Well, listen, I pray for these lives that are here today. And if, if you raised your hand, I just, just in the quietness of your heart. Just confess, like, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. And I pray you just open my eyes to the reality of, of you and, and your love for me, and that you just set my feet right today. And if you, if you prayed that prayer, if you raised your hand or not, what a glorious day it is for you, <laughs> the God of the universe has spoken and you've made that choice in, into life the heavens rejoice at that and if you're already a believer and, and just kind of drifting a little bit looking at things what the world has to offer and to find yourself at a point where you just need to just get your eyes back on to what matters most and I encourage you as well. I don't ask you to raise your hand or anything like that because you know who you are. But in the quietness of your heart, just, just make, that, make that stand. That today, again, I, I, it's okay. God already knows. It's okay that I've been looking, I've been watching in the wrong spots. And today I'm just going to choose life again.
And the Lord just he loves that kind of heart that understands the desperate times we live in. God, I lift up this time to you. God, that you just have your hand in it as we just begin to prepare our hearts for communion. And Lord, we lift it all up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.